So, welcome to RT Audio. This is a very exciting on-location episode. Um, today we have two special guests. I'm going to introduce a co-host today who's uh, probably very familiar to most of our listeners. Uh, Julie Brown, who is the coordinator of our respiratory therapy program at Fanshawe College. She is a leader in our profession from every aspect that you can think of in terms of volunteer, from clinical practice, from educator leadership. Um, I've asked Julie to help me with our very special guest today, um, and we are actually in his home and very excited to learn from his experience and his know-how and uh, offer our listenership some of his uh, expertise. Okay. So I'm going to first off hand it over to Julie, who will introduce uh, Dr. Don Reed. Thank you, Dave. That was really nice. Thanks. Um, so yeah. Privilege to be here in your home today, Don, and uh, I would like to introduce my good friend, Dr. Don Reed. And Dr. Don Reed, for those who don't know him, uh, practiced all across Canada, um, but he practiced in pedi pedi pediatrics for 60 years yeah. and 50 years as mm -hmm. a neonatology intensivist, um, wow. leading departments, um, and moved from hospital to hospital across Canada. Um, teaching a lot of what he knows. But Don's been a real inspiration to me, uh, and he's been an inspiration, sometimes behind the scenes, to all of the RTs across Canada. So Don has some amazing stories that he's going to share with you today. And so thanks for letting us come into your home here, Don. Thank you very much, Dr. Reed. It's my privilege and pleasure to be able to be here uh, today. The um, when, when I was uh, first starting in neonatology and pediatrics, nobody touched a baby for two days because everybody felt that they were too delicate and they were too sens sensitive uh, to be able to uh, tolerate being handed. So obviously only the strongest and they would survive that and there was really a selection process. And so I went to uh, run and set up a neonatal nursery in Halifax. And uh, while I was there, I was interested, I first developed my interest in RTs. I, actually, we had very limited facilities and we only had an RT. And I had a very, very aggressive and positive RT. And I taught him everything I knew about resuscitation newborn, including intubation. And, and we used to have Fun, play games who can put the Mark 8 respirator together faster <laughs> the Mark and, 8, without yes. having <laughs> an inadvertent progressive peep which everybody wanted of course to avoid so our repertoire was the Mark 8 bird respirator so a lot of people would say well maybe you didn't have a repertoire at all and so <laughs> so it it started off that everything was extremely quiet and you couldn't possibly do that but then at that point, Bob Usher, who I was working with, I was his, neonatology was just starting, I was his, I was his resident and his fellow, and uh, it, it was really amazing that at that time we were able to show that simply starting an IV in a premature baby right off the bat reduced the mortality by 15%. And in a 32-week gestation infant, if we added some glucose to that and prevented the hyperkalemia that causes the baby to have the cardiac arrest who's untreated, it reduces another 15%. So simply starting an IV at 
um, 65 cc's per kilo to run over 24 hours with uh, uh, an addition of 10% uh, glucose and water and, and uh, they need some saline as well. So everybody thought that Bob Usher was radical and maybe that's why I enjoyed working with him so much because I was a bit of aggressive. You're radical And I, I really couldn't understand, uh, I really couldn't understand why everybody was so lethargic about the needs of the newborn. And of course that was the time when uh, uh, Mary Elnavia developed the, um, uh, the wheel that she could show you that there was tension, uh, phospholipid containing a uh, tension, and she really developed surfactin. And I was able to be part of that at St. Joseph Health Center, and we really had a tremendous um, uh, goal with um, uh, uh, the surfactin. So Cynthia Kenyon and I were the first to give a dose of surfactin uh, down uh, a baby's trachea, and you wonder the first at the wow. time uh, if the baby's going to be like a big bubble machine in a wash machine, <laughs> and all this phospholipid <laughs> comes bubbling back to you. And, and they, so we had all our suction catheters right, but instead, this baby who had horrendous hollow membrane disease, I remember that that baby all of a sudden had improved air entry. And the baby had, we came down into respirator support immediately, and that baby probably would have fallen into the group of non-invasive um, administration of surfactant, and, and, and it's just opened an exciting new world. But, you know, I think sometimes... Um, uh, exciting doesn't mean it's life-changing, I yeah, think. And, and there was, uh, in Washington, D.C., there was this uh, fellow who ran a nursery, intensive care nursery, and he always had results that were far superior to everybody else. And he published his results, he had a lower incidence of, uh, of uh, intravenous hemorrhage, interventricular hemorrhage, he had a lower, in lower incidence of bronchopulmonary dysplasia, the two things that got premature babies, and he had a lower incidence of, uh, of um, ha having uh, retinopathy of prematurity. So all the three, horrible things that these babies get could be prevented by simply adding a 10% uh, glucose and water uh, and uh, increase the fluids and increase decrease the potassium. You already had a baby that's got 30% chance greater of living. That's well, amazing, yeah. Don. Um, if you guys could see, this is like story time with Don Reed. Yeah. Dave and I are sitting around <laughs> just hanging off every word. But Don, we've been friends for more than 10 years and I've heard most of your stories, I think, multiple times, but I love them all. I could hear them over and over again. So I want to make sure, like I said to Dave, was I want to make sure that my favorite stories get told here okay. because there's some amazing stories. And it always interests me because you being someone who just retired this past year, you've been in practice a long time. And it always amazes me that you put so much of your work and energy behind the RT profession. I know you put lots of energy behind your own medical profession too, but I always am just amazed by what you do for our profession. So maybe you could talk a little bit, I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but maybe just talk a little bit about everything that you've been involved with in our profession, all of your board work and volunteer work and things like that. Anyway, this uh, uh, <coughs> unit, and nobody believed this unit in Washington, D.C., 
And the interesting thing at the conclusion that I came from, from all his work is that the person running the respirator is more important than the respirator itself. You can, I could make... Uh, can um, we get that in writing? Seacrest <laughs> C- 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 to dance across the floor. That's one of the, and, and all the ones that could give you a uh, peep and all that. Just, I mean, we could do amazing things, but we also cause amazing trauma with bronchopulmonary sure. dysplasia, retinopathy of prematurity, and, mm. and death in babies who were baby were born without any lung disease, but we gave it to them because right. of, the, of the ventilation. Too high pressures, too high, high rate, uh, too high peep. All the things were too high. We were too aggressive. And now, I, I, I always was very much interested in the RT program because it seemed to me that the training program back in 1970, that's, that's a lot, it would have been 1968, I was actually involved in a unit in Halifax, and it seemed to me that these were people who were underutilized in terms of their training. They had all this training and they weren't given the opportunity to really express that training uh, by having intubations and assisting at all all these procedures that you would do, assisting at doing this change transfusion and uh, total resuscitation uh, efforts on uh, being in the perhaps the person in charge of the resuscitation of the baby. We rotate, they, they should, everybody in that room should have equal skills and, and should be used to their ultimate capacity. So I just thought that this was a group of people and I became interested, that was so underutilized, and I became really interested in the, the fact that they would talk about not doing these things and how frustrated they were. So we decided to change all that. And uh, I got the support from the head of the department that uh, at that time, uh, Dr. Morrison Hurley, and he said, work with the RTs and see if we can't get some them working in the resuscitation room and taking greater responsibility. So that's exactly what happened. We went and we got, uh, uh, finally got some okay from the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons to make us a delegated act to work in an in intensive care prematurity. But only if I personally supervised uh, 10 uh, successful continuous intubation. If you failed your ninth and had eight, eight perfect, well, you were invited to start at one again. And and it was a very rigorous progress and and, and program and and in this we talked about the pathophysiology and we talked we didn't just make uh, respirator users we used them as consultants and uh, and using the respirators and used them as being uh, the key people in the the whole organization of the nursery. Amazing. I'll tell you what the organization nursery was before we start on. But you know, Don, one thing. I don't think a lot of people who work in neonatal ICUs or on transport teams realize that that's where this actually started, that they could start being a part of the neonatal recess team and intubating. And that's amazing for our profession and and amazing changes, right? That um, without you, I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd like to think our profession would have come by it ourselves, but you know, to have that physician or that that neonatal neonatologist pushing for our profession right there. You know, I, I always advise uh, the neonatologists to get involved in committees. I was involved in lots of committees at the hospital level, and I could change things by presenting that at this central core uh, group and that was controlling the neonatal intensive care unit. The, the people, the penny counters, the people who financially are in charge of how much it costs to run an intensive care nursery. And uh, they, they were interested in making savings, but they were more interested in having new technology um, brought back. Now, an example of that is I went away to the Society for Pediatric Research in Washington one year, and they were suggesting that we give less CPAP on our babies on CPAP. And rather than giving them 10 or 15 centimeters of water pressure, maybe all we need to do is, if we have to intubate them, that give them three or four centimeters of water pressure. Maybe uh, we shouldn't intubate them at all, and they can be given by nasal prongs or a nasal catheter. Or And now, it's maybe they don't need any uh, intubation or just they just need some stimulation which can be given with caffeine and other drugs that we use to stimulate breathing in premature baby so the the really the, the detailed thing that really was important is to train the rts when not to intubate right. and that was so important because you don't want to have needless trauma and a good example of that is you know we, we intubated all the babies who had meconium staining. I've intubated thousands of babies, but there's a recent study out that shows that if, if, unless the baby is apneic or having respiratory distress, there is no improvement by selective intubation of babies with meconium versus uh, not, not observation. And if they are not having ongoing respiratory distress and they're not asphyxiated, you should, and they're the majority of babies, you should not intubate them. Right. So this is an excellent example how the, the neonatal resuscitation has, has changed and uh, how the attitude in the neonatal nursery has changed. You know, during that time, that. Yeah. Yeah, during that time, you know, we were really the underdogs uh, because, um, first of all, nobody really n knew what neonatology really was, and I'll define it for you so everybody is clear. It's, it's the care of the neonate in the first 28 days of life. And of course, if you have a baby in the nursery and the respirator, it sometimes extends into the second and third month. Uh, because of the uh, chronic process that's going on. And um, the first 28 days of life, the first 24 hours of life have 30% of all your deaths are in that first 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But of course that includes your anomalies and includes um, um, a lot of other things that um, contribute to their death. But the if you survive the first 24 hours, uh, the chances are that you will survive intact, even if you're down to 26 uh, weeks gestation. Mm. And what used to be a very noisy place, it's now a very quiet place because we now know that babies can actually become deaf from just sitting in an incubator hearing that 
uh, monotonous groan of the engine and the motor and the uh, and the um, uh, incubator. So uh, it's gone from a, a really aggressive place where we beat uh, the heck out of the babies <laughs> and wondered why we didn't have a good uh, uh, result. And I remember the negative pressure respirator, oh the air right. shields yeah. respirator, respirator. <laughs> the air you, we, Because everybody thought if the, the positive pressure was a problem, it's a real, really was a problem, then um, then negative pressure must be absolutely utopia. <laughs> so with, with that, we didn't we didn't observe anything above the uh, baby's jaw because the baby was tightly packed in. And, and we had a negative pressure pulling air uh, into the baby's lungs. Well, one of the things I remember is uh, when we were doing it, the, we had estrolung arterial catheters, and uh, they were for pulling the arterial blood samples. And I remember once when I was standing over a patient, the RT, the, the uh, it was the, 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 the technologist who was doing the blood work opened up the lid of the incubator and pulled out the arterial catheter yeah. and uh, so fortunately I had a Kelly and I just clamped it off and we had to put it in the other arterial catheter but that <coughs> that shows how limited our facilities actually were right but anyway these negative pressure ba babies which I was gun ho on it was not going to cause any problems and for 10 years, we ventilated babies, and when they came out, it was really interesting. They had a head, they had a stretched neck, seemed like their neck went on forever, when, and, and <laughs> surely they didn't have bronchopulmonary dysplasia. They didn't, and the people who were against the negative pressure respirator said, well, that proves that the respirator doesn't work at all. And after after um, ten years, an analysis was done by Silverman in New York, and he concluded that with all the uh, assessments and meta studies that were done in the negative pressure respirator, the only thing he could conclude was it didn't do more damage than harm. In other words, all those sleepless oh nights goodness. were nothing. Right. And and I you know we never ever looked at cerebral blood flow right. and, and we were that was before cerebral blood flow and and just imagine how yeah. that cuff yeah. around the negative pressure oh occluded the, uh, the, the yeah. Don it's amazing you know what you've seen and these things throughout your career just amazing and I know you're not going to talk about yourself so I'm going to say um, throughout that time you've been amazing to our profession of respiratory therapy and this is what I know, but you can add to it. So I know you've been on numerous program advisory councils, um, Fanshawe College, Conestoga College, probably others, as often the chair of the program advisory committee, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you sat on COARTI, our accreditation program, and did accreditation visits for how many years? Seven years. Seven years on COARTI. Amazing, and that's through the CSRT. Yeah. And then most recently, you spent just over 10 years on the CBRC board with me as Seemed our like just public, public member. member. Yeah. yeah, and you just left our board this past year. Yeah. So that's, you know, numerous years that you've given to our profession. And to shaping help. the future of our profession, yeah. too. Well, I, you know, I, I had uh, this perception of so many RTs 
They were so bright and so enthusiastic and so energetic and so underutilized that it was just a real pleasure. It was, uh, the, there was so much excitement at St. Joseph's Hospital at that time that they were, they were certified, they were legally certified, not mentally ill, they were legally certified. <laughs> to, 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 maybe to, some. Some maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe if you get rid of me, that was a problem. But um, the, uh, the enthusiasm, and I had, I had 10, uh, within uh, two months, I had 10 RTs who were, I had 10 RTs who were um, uh, up to stuff and had passed the test and were immediately signed to uh, case room duties. And, and they some, most of the time took the lead in resuscitation. Resuscitation, that's and, amazing. And I think that was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But I, I thought, I looked around and I thought that most people underutilized are the respiratory therapists. And I can tell you for every minute that I spent spending with the RTs, I got an hour of, of, of wonderful pleasure back. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. One one of the things that uh, I used to do is I to, weekly for for probably twenty years, I would take the X-rays down of all the X-rays that were in the unit for the previous week, and the, the students would be all as, uh, and were would be uh, and the, the regular RTs attended these too if they had a break. So I, we had a great big room full in, in what I called was the pit. It was just, I went down to the bottom of St. Joseph's Hospital and then wandered around the, the dark corridors and you came to where <laughs> Do the you know, RPs I was a part were. of that when I was a student. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it continued on for years, yeah, for years. after you, what you yeah. started there. And, and, what, and I would show, show the x-ray uh, to uh, uh, people and uh, uh, the RTs would... And I'd have to, they'd have to defend why they made that diagnosis. So, you know, they left the unit with a sense of confidence to doing neonatology. They left uh, 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 not having a fear of neonatology. Mm -hmm. And being and those who liked pathophysiology and, and the ventilation and all the really uh, hot care that the neonates received from the RTs. It's absolutely wonderful to have the RTs in this position. It is. It gives me a lot of, a lot of pleasure. You and know, I had Don, one thing. Oh, sorry, those um, X-ray rounds. Everybody, we would all go into them so scared. Oh. But you were always so good at teaching, and you were amazing at just showing us everything and getting us to say something about the X-ray. And the, uh, but it was always nerve-wracking to go in there with the neonatologist and go through the X-rays. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that um, uh, it, it, well, nobody was being evaluated. No. The whole thing was is uh, I hope I wasn't that aggressive. No, no. But anyway. Great. Those X-ray uh, rounds continued on for uh, 15 years or more. And what I do is I get the X-rays from the patients that they had been looking after. They could tell us the history and they could point out the X-ray. And I actually would say I had, I had treated the pathophysiology of this, uh, uh, to this child of this ch uh, about this baby who was in respiratory failure and what she was doing to it. So actually I had confidence that through these rounds, these babies could understand the physiology that was going on, and then they could apply the physiology in right in the in the um, 
uh, in the um, uh, neonatal intensive care district. At the bedside. And, yeah. and the interesting thing is, I think that life is all about confidence. If you're confident about what you're doing, then you are uh, going to make a tremendous addition to the neonatal nursery. What I noticed is that uh, the, the participation in rounds by the RTs was greatly enhanced after they had gone through the RT training program. And, and we would have the RT rounds with everybody started at 7 o'clock in the morning. That's if I still get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, the, one of the great uh, things is that we were able to increase the participation of the RTs in rounds. So we would set a guidelines of whatever uh, rate, whatever pressure, whatever oxygen, whatever intervention we were doing, and we'd set some goals to get the baby off the respirator. If the baby did, fell below uh, those goals or above those goals, uh, well, above those goals, we had a, a system of documenting reducing the pressure. And, and then the 10% of the babies who overnight would um, uh, not uh, keep up to our, our established sets in the respirator. So I had wonderful conversations with RTs in the middle of the night about the facilitative physiology and whether it would be better to, to reduce PEEP or increase PEEP or change the, the inspiratory time or decrease the inspiratory time. And, my wife finally moved out. She, she, we didn't get a divorce, but she went into the spare bedroom. But I think that was real. I think, I think that was, I think that was really special. She was sick in the middle of the night phone calls. I, I think that was really special, uh, because um, she was able to uh, listen to this, and she didn't. She knew that was part of my job, and I was able to really train these respiratory therapists to a level that they had the confidence they knew what was happening. And on the other hand, if something disastrous has happened, the nurse would call me and just say, Don, get in here quick. Yeah. Right. But um, You have a few were, funny stories too, Don. There's a few that you've told me over the years. Yeah. What are some of your favorite memories? Well, of my favorite memory is not funny, but my favorite memory okay. is um, I, I was sitting in the... Uh, refresher course for the Canadian Pediatric Society in the hotel uh, the, uh, overlooking the Niagara Falls. And we were uh, talking about um, uh, the change of sex of, of what was happening to these people. So I wasn't particularly my alley of uh, expertise. So I, sat to, I said to the guy beside me, I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I um, uh, am... Uh, a neonatology in a small uh, Nova Scotian town, and I have to do all the neonatology. But he said, things have really rapidly changed. He said, the, um, the, the uh, uh, child is, uh, the, I used to have to rush into the hospital and get uh, really, um, uh, get really, uh, uh, all frustrated and bothered and break all the traffic rules but now it's changed I have but now it is changed I have uh, I have a couple of RTs who've been trained to intubate infants and resuscitate babies they know the whole score and he said I drive calmly to the hospital and I see a baby who is pink 
who's on the respirator or is, is off even off the respirator, but this emergency has been handled by the respiratory therapist. So that's why I think... So not only are the RTs saving the baby's lives, they're also saving the physician's lives by not endangering yeah. them on the drive-in. So, and that came full circle because you know that you were the one that made that possible. That, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So amazing. you know, in, in retrospect, you know, in retrospect, the, the things I think are really, uh, the legacy I leave is not uh, necessarily uh, that exciting, but the, the, the legacy I leave is respiratory therapists who are competent, who are comp competent in their own ability and are able to continue to, to search and, and get additional areas of uh, training and additional areas of, of um, Inter uh, additional areas of, of um, competence which uh, will enhance uh, I, I, I worked in Regina for 10 years and I heard from uh, one of the people from Regina that uh, the neonatal transport team, what I had a lot to do with, uh, is now putting in chest tubes, the respiratory therapists, intubating babies, along with the nursing staff who are also participating in the stabilization of the baby in tra air transport, uh, and they're almost all air transport now, um, and bring them in, in a stable condition. So I, I think that that's another aspect of something that I, 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 I used to like to think that we had a team that was all we never ever had any conflict we everybody had their roles and everybody was happy and everybody cooperated with one another but everybody had a contribution on rounds in the morning and, you know sometimes you know I was I was fairly uh, maybe you were frightened of me because I was a man of of custom I everything was regular now one day uh, I sometimes I went up to the case room and I would see what was going to happen for the day at 6.30 before 7 o'clock rounds. And this one day, the nurse who happened to be, head nurse who happened to be German said, Dr. Reed, Dr. Reed, you ought to come. We have a 34-week baby and it's got all kinds of secretions. And you don't know, we can't get it intubated. You have to intubate the baby. So I had to intubate it. She handed me a, a delete suction catheter, which I've, Put in the baby's mouth, and I sucked and sucked and sucked, and more and more and more secretions came out. So I'll and pause I, you for a know, second for those that don't know the delay suction the, the catheter. The suction catheter is a suction catheter you put in your mouth. They are no longer. You put it in a your bulb mouth at the end of it, <clears throat> and you're supposed to fill the bulb and not get in your mouth. Okay. And this baby had so much secretions, <laughs> I filled the bowl. And I filled my mouth with it oh boy. as well. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I got the baby intubated, and I took the baby uh, to the neonatal intensive care unit. And then I made my examination. The baby had petechiae. Uh, and this is what I used to teach my RT students all the time. You have to make a, a full assessment of your baby before you can come to an accurate conclusion. The, the baby had petechiae. The baby had... Um, was edematous, so the the baby was uh, uh, was in heart failure because of the edema, and the baby had uh, a murmur. The baby had carditis, and mo most of all, uh, the baby was uh, uh, just loaded with secretions and had hepatosplenomegaly. And then the right. the suddenly the bell just dropped, yeah. and I thought. 
Oh God, what am I going to do? So, what did the, what what did you realization did you come to? The realization <laughs> I came to was that I had a mouthful of pure uh, Treponema pallidum, or, or the red bug that produces uh, syphilis, syphilis, and I had oral syphilis without having any fun from. from <laughs> <laughs> it would have been one thing if I had if I had been in in a compromised position and got it and had to take the consequences, but to receive it for your work doesn't doesn't seem quite fair. So, and it gets worse, right? Yeah, then you I had to go worse. home. Yeah. And, and so anyway, I they I, I went over there and they put five million units of penicillin in either butt, and I thought, well, that should cure it. I don't need to tell my wife about this one. <laughs> and uh, so anyway. I um, I went home and everything was quiet and I went back to the hospital the next day and my wife happened to be working as a nurse of holding as a nurse and the wills that be came up to her and wanted to say something to her about her husband and um, she, they said, did you know your husband had oral syphilis? <laughs> You know, Great way to start your day that. at work. Yeah. Did, did you? Did, did, well, just uh, just imagine the impact that that would have on your wife. The, the head of infectious diseases saying, "Did you know that your wife has has uh, uh, syphilis, oral syphilis?" Well, you can imagine. And she said, "They we couldn't have." Intercourse. We couldn't have kiss one another. We couldn't cuss the kids, and we had to have um, we have to have our syphilis test done once a month. But I got the treatment. Yeah. So anyway, my wife. I, I was on a Saturday. I was trying to get out of my little Mercury car, and I couldn't get out of my back because my back was so sore from the penicillin. And my neighbor next door said. What's the matter? You can't get out of the car. And I said, I was climbing up the side of the car. I said, I, I just got, um, I just got uh, 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 two units of uh, uh, penicillin. For, for, uh, no, I, I got, I hurt my back. And he said, it was a strange place to hurt your back. He said, I had an injection in my back. I just a little, bit, a little injection. And that's why my back is sore. So that, that night, my wife told me, she said, don't you say a word about what happened this week. So I was sitting there with this lady who uh, said, John, what is the matter with you? You can't sit. Didn't you guys have a bridge at your house that night or something? Pardon? You were at bridge or I something? Read bridge yeah. at our house, yeah. And, the, and, and I was at the bridge at our house. And I couldn't sit on either butt. And, and my partner said, John, what's the crap is, is wrong with you? You can't sit still. And I just said, I don't know why I said it. Um, <laughs> two spades. I just got 10 million units of penicillin in either butt to treat my oral syphilis, which I had. Well, <laughs> the room goes know, quiet. Yeah. The, the room is absolutely quiet. <laughs> so anyway, I'm starting I, to understand why your wife uh, moved to the other room now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that that's probably my favorite story, Don, and I, I really always I enjoy it yeah, every yeah. single time you tell it. Uh, well, anyway, it is. I, it has some consequences because um, it, uh, 
I just want to put this yeah. little package together. Yeah. Uh, a couple of months later, I was asked to intubate a baby in emergency that was uh, uh, um, 32 weeks gestation, and the mother had come in with severe pneumonia, just having come from Africa. And um, I went down there, and, and they had me a laryngoscope, and there were no gloves in the emergency that would fit me. So I just intubated the baby and, and ventilated the baby, now, that baby had HIV pneumonia, and I didn't take any treatment and precaution in, right. in, at all. So I've been exposed to oral syphilis. I've been exposed to HIV. I'm not HIV positive. Right. So that, uh, but one thing I'd like to advise um, all the young RTs is be certain you avoid, you, uh, uh, be certain that you actually are rigorously adhere to the the idea of washing your hands before PPE, and after, yeah. proper gowning, proper <laughs> gloving, and don't take any yeah. shortcuts along the way. They are all in there for a reason. Right. Yeah. And, and now uh, things have come a long way, right? <laughs> so much different from when you way. started. Yeah. Now, and one of the things I think is really wonderful, we've almost gone back to where everything was very quiet and you just hope for the best. But now, that's not that way at all. The... the these young babies who are 24 weeks gestation, many of them come out very vigorously and have mature lungs and just have the problem of apnea, which can be treated with caffeine. And, 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 and the other thing is, is that some of these babies require a little bit of nasal CPAP. Support. Maybe uh, they have to have, maybe when they're being given the surfactant, they just have it with the catheter and don't actually enter into the larynx, but just give it perilaryngeal and it will go into, as the baby grows, all that secretions right. will go into the lungs. So that the, even the method of delivering uh, and the restriction of, of giving surfactant has dramatically changed. So the, the respirator is an important role in neonatology and they're still making advances in those who have solid lungs, like for instance, people who have Potter syndrome, people who have ruptured uh, membranes for a prolonged period of time, their, their lungs aren't developed. It's very important uh, uh, to uh, realize that uh, there are many advances that can be made, and I haven't even started to scratch on, on what I, I would like to do in the future, but I rest my case and say I, I allow you to look around and be thoughtful and think about ways you can use you and your colleagues more efficiently, and that will be a, a, a really an advance of, um, of uh, respiratory therapy. Amazing, you, yeah. You are not into a second-rate uh, uh, profession. You're into a profession which is vigorous, it's aggressive, it's advancing, and I want you to be part of the advancement, not part of the state establishment that doesn't change we want you to be the aggressive changers. Amazing. No, that's a yeah. call to all RTs Absolutely. out there, right? You, yeah. You've put your time in. You've made amazing changes to this profession, and as have other people as well, but it's yeah. time for everyone to sort of take right. that on. Right. Yeah. And Dr. Reed, um, I think I've always known this, but I consider you a giant in our profession uh, for respiratory therapy, especially in Canada, a pioneer, a leader, an exemplar. Um, we've learned a lot through this little uh, travel back through our history and that call out to RTs. I'm going to ask a very difficult question right now. 
look into your crystal ball. Where do you see the field of respiratory therapy going in the next five, ten years? Well, there, uh, there's, it's not a single focus. It's not a single focus. I think if you look at a focus that's narrow and, and, and not, uh, that, that might not be where the money is. Maybe the money is in some other areas. So I think that you, you should look around at the whole perception as to what you can possibly uh, make an, an impression on that area. Now, I, I think that if I were um, to, to do anything, I would advance the pharmacology teaching in, in um, uh, the uh, respiratory therapy programs. And the reason for that is I think that total control of patients going home on trait care and on people mm -hmm. going home. Uh, and I think ambulatory care is where the big uh, future is. Mm -hmm. but, but I think it's, it's up for grabs. If, if, you could have, if you could max your uh, training in pharmacology and, and with the specifics, making sure that you know the drugs you need and the antibiotics you need, then I think that's the next challenge is to be, be the leaders and aggressive and, and, and to improve the, the quality of home care. And it's a vital important. important. It's equally important as the hospital. The hospital sends them out and, and, and it, it's not just to uh, mark time, they're actually to improve, to get an aim is to get them off the respirator and off right. their trach. But, so, but I think that area is right for uh, for advancement, and that's where I think that if, if I were going into RT, well, if, if I were going into RT, I would go into the neonatal nursery. Yeah. I think you'd be well This would be your second. Let's be honest. Your career, uh, right? Let's be honest. I, I, I loved my career. I, mm -hmm. I, had a, I, I said I, for every minute I had an hour of, of pleasure coming back. And, and I, I just had a fantastic career. And I loved, I loved the, being on the quarry because we always had a chance to make recommendations for improvement. Where we always looked at the positive things. In, in quarry, you know, you, you, you learn to take leadership skills in quarry and, and also in the, uh, in the um, uh, examination committee. I was amazed at how resourceful our T's are. We had uh, difficult situations and we resolved them. And the other thing I like about RTs that really stimulate me is they're fun to be around. And they're very um, uh, cheerful and they're very eager to learn. And I think if I were to say one thing about my uh, handling, uh, handling of uh, RT teaching, is they're eager, eager to learn. They're eager to learn in all aspects. And so therefore, I, I think that um, uh, RTs are just beginning to unwind their very special and unique and important role they have in the neonatal um, uh, nursery and throughout the hospital. And I, the thing I would advise is RTs should get on hospital committees. Because yes. that, that's the way you have a voice and, and that's the way you advance the uh, role of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, the neonatal respiratory therapist and also the ones who go into pediatric and adult and intensive care ventilation. There, that's where the money is allocated. That's where you have to sit. Right. 
good. Dr. Reed, this has been absolutely enjoyable. Um, I'm going to thank Julie for setting this up with your relationship yeah. and bringing you yeah. to RT Audio. Uh, in consideration of your time, um, I want to extend a, a, an immense thank you to you for everything you've done for the profession, for everything you continue to do, and for spending some time talking to us today. Um, we've definitely learned a lot, and I think this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tom.